Game on. Good, good morning. It is great to be in the house with you. Great to be back. What a day to be alive in Austin, Texas. Thank you, both of you. I appreciate that so much. Hey, real quick, in the house, those of us who are worshiping here together today, let's say hey and welcome in our online audience and congregation. We're glad to be with y'all as well. Man, I, I remember when, when the whole quarantine thing first started and then we got the word a few weeks later that we could go back to having church and we weren't sure when we were going to start. We just decided that we were going to operate in grace. We were going to, if people wanted to come back, we were going to be back. If people weren't comfortable coming back, that was fine. But we're going to do everything that we can to connect and stay connected as a church family. And if you're more comfortable worshiping at home, awesome. If you're more comfortable being here, awesome. We're going to love everybody. We're going to be part of the family together. So it's kind of cool that we live in a day and an age where we actually can do this. And it's great to see y'all in the house. Online, y'all ought to give it up for everybody in the house this morning too. That's pretty cool. Well, I want to begin a new teaching series with you this weekend. And I want to begin this teaching series with maybe a confession Maybe just an acknowledgement and an admission, but it's this. As your pastor, I am over COVID. I am O-V-E-R, the C-O-V-I-D. Is anybody else with me? Let, let me just say this. Here, here's what I mean by that. Let's go. I want you to turn to your neighbor. Even if you're watching online, turn to somebody if you're in a coffee shop and tell them, let's go. Now, let me, let me be very, very clear. I, I, I understand COVID is real. I'm not saying it's a conspiracy dreamed up by the Mask Makers Union or that Dr. Fauci is a Chinese operative. I'm not saying any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying we gots to go because the weird will be with us for a while. I mean, it's just gonna be weird. This fall, back to school, weird. Football season, weird. ACL canceled, weird. Wearing a mask everywhere you go in public, it's the right thing to do, and it's weird. We've got to learn how to navigate the weird together. But here's what I really believe. I really believe that in this season of the weird, we have a monster teachable moment. A monster teachable moment, not only maybe for our kids and the next generation, but also for ourselves to learn not only how to navigate the weird when it rears its ugly, deformed head, but also how to navigate life in fair winds and following seas. How do we, how do we navigate this world no matter what winds blow, no matter how hard the storm rages, no matter what siren songs try to distract us and take us off course. And the reality is 2020, we have heard some siren songs, have we not? We, we have, we've seen some storms. We've heard winds blowing and buffeting our homes and our houses and our lives. And yet it's in the middle of those storms and those winds that we had this monster opportunity to learn how to navigate no matter what is going on around us. And here's the thing that I really mean when I say let's go. I mean that in the middle of the weird, we still have lives to live. We still 
get to work. We still get to build. We still get to dream as people, as, as the church, in, in business, in life, in our community, in our city. Let's build something worth building. Let's, let's live life to the full that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead to facilitate for us. Because here's the reality. Not only do we have lives to live that are worth living, more to the point, no matter what happens in 2020, God is still God. He is still on his throne. He is still, Jesus remains the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is still the bright and morning star. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Let's go. Let's do this thing and figure it out. Oh, by the way, speaking of weird, we get to participate in the most polarized presidential picking in a pandemic. Now that is a peck of peppers. I don't care who you are. I mean, it's just nuts. Are you kidding me? And I'm not even going there yet, but I'm just saying, I'm just putting that because that's, that's on the way. But 2020 did not surprise God. God was not thrown off of his game or off of his throne because of coronavirus. As a matter of fact, God remains fixed. And actually God, more specifically, Jesus Christ is the way that we navigate the weird or the normal. Jesus is our true north. True north is, is the title of this series that we're kicking off today. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into a section of scripture that shows us not only that Jesus is true north, but, but how to find our true north and just as importantly, how to follow true north. How, it's one thing to find it and identify it, but it's entirely another to follow true north. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter number 12. The book of Hebrews, as you're looking that up, is a fascinating study because it was written to a group of Hebrews. What I mean by that is it was written to Jewish believers in the first century. Most scholars believe were concentrated in Jerusalem and the book of Hebrews, though we don't know the human author through whom the Spirit of God wrote it, we do know that it was written to encourage the Hebrews. We knew that it was written to, to remind the Israelite nation of the anchor and the history that God had written in their hearts and in their lives in order to bring Jesus into the world, to live on this earth, to die on the cross and be raised from the dead and to remind them that God had always had his hand on the nation of Israel. Therefore, they could withstand any winds that blew, any storms that raged. And this is where it reminds us that Jesus is true north. Look in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two. The Bible says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. That's a good word, isn't it? An encumbrance. Anything that hinders, anything that impedes us. And the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, fixing our eyes on Jesus that he, at, at some point in our lives, became, or, or maybe will become for you, that he becomes true north, that he becomes the one around whom you can orient your life in order to navigate life no matter what goes on around you. Jesus is true north. You know, the reason that sailors for centuries have navigated the oceans by the North Star is that relative to the other stars in our sky that, that travel kind of a wide-ranging arc over the night hours, the North Star remains relatively fixed just above the North Pole in the Earth. And so, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere, when you see the North Star, you know you're traveling north. That remains fixed while all the other stars swirl around it. This is the picture of what God calls us to do. Those who go by the name of Christ follower, we get to follow true north. We follow Jesus and we remember that he is the one who anchors our course. He is the one that we come back to because the reality is sometimes we lose our way. Has anybody here ever lost your way before? Just a show of hands. I'm just gonna ask you this question. Anybody here felt maybe for, I don't know, 30 minutes or 30 days in the last six months like you've lost your way? Like what in the wide world of sports is a going on? In these moments, it's when we have to go to our knees and remember our true north. When Julie and I first got married, uh, we were living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was in seminary. She was student teaching. And a friend of ours called from Austin and said, hey, we're going to be in Dallas for the Texas OU game, and let's hang out at the state fair after the game. We were like, done. We're there. So the day of the game, we weren't going to the game, but we, got to the, we were going to Fair Park kind of early in the day to just kind of hang out and eat some fried Twinkies and do what you do at the Texas State Fair. And as we made our way across the Metroplex towards Fair Park near downtown Dallas, as we got into downtown Dallas, we hit a wall of traffic. I mean, it was a drive-in movie. Nobody was moving. It was just hanging out. Well, being me, I, I found the first exit I could get to. I, I just dove off of the highway and started kind of hunting and pecking and weaving my way around through central Dallas. And Julie and I hadn't been married a whole long time when this happened. And you know how when you, when you first get married, you, you're trying to figure out how to, you know, ask the right question in the right way. And, and as we kind of started hunting and pecking, we'd hit another line of traffic and I'd turn around and find another direction. And after two or three of these little mini detours, Julie was so gracious. She's there in the passenger seat, and I could see her kind of starting to get a little concerned. I could hear it in her voice just a little bit, and she said, um, honey, are you, what street are you looking for? Which is a very logical question. And I said, I don't know. And, and you, I, I remember this as much as I'm standing right here today. She said, uh, okay, um, how do, how, so what street are you looking for? I said, I don't know. I said, but I, I know we're going that way. She goes, oh, okay. 
Well, we'd hit another line of traffic and another red light and I'd do another U-turn, take another detour and go a different direction. And, and sure enough, about two or three minutes later, after two or three more of these many detours, she said, hey, can I just ask you a question? How do you, like, how do you know where you're going if you don't know what street you're looking for? She goes, what, what, just tell me what street you're looking for. I said, honey, I'm looking for the right street. And she said, well, well, how do you know the right street? I go, I'll just know it. And, and again, my wife is super rational. I mean, super. She, she goes, that, but that doesn't make any sense, honey. If, if you don't know the name of the street, and we keep turning around and going different directions, how do you know? And she, I said, finally, I got exasperated. I said, we're going that way. And she goes, why are we going that way? And just as I said that way, the very tippy top of the State Fair of Texas Ferris wheel came into view above the tree line. I said, honey, I'm going toward the Ferris wheel. As long as we're going in that direction, we're going in the right direction. The street names don't matter. And sure enough, we got there. It was a circuitous route, but we got there. On that day, the Ferris wheel of Texas was our true north. It was fixed and fast. It wasn't going nowhere. That was our true north. In this life that you and I live, no matter what dips and turns, climbs and cliffs we encounter, Jesus is our true north. Jesus is the one that we look to for direction. When we start to feel the winds blowing, we start to kind of look around and, and we worry about the wind and we listen to the waves and we see all this stuff going on around us. It's in those moments that we've got to just stop, gather ourselves, reorient ourselves, and be reminded of who is true north. I wonder this weekend, as we kick off this series together, what's your Ferris wheel? What, what is the Ferris wheel of your life that, that you look to for direction? that you use as an anchor point, that, that no matter what happens around you, that's the direction you are always going. As I was preparing for this, I came across an old commentary on the book of Hebrews. A, a theologian by the name of Warren Wearsby has written an entire series of commentaries on the whole Bible. And, and I loved what he said about the book of Hebrews, writing in 1982, 1982. That, that, most of y'all weren't even a gleam in your parents' eyes in 1982. But this is what Warren Wearsby said about the book of Hebrews. See, just see how true it rings for us right now. Wearsby says, the epistle to the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, is a book that we need today. It was written at a time when the ages were colliding and when everything in society seemed to be shaken. It was written to Christians who were wondering what was going on and what they could do about it. The stability of the old was passing away and their faith was wavering. One of the major messages of Hebrews is be confident. God is shaking things so that you may learn to live by faith and not by sight. He wants you to build your life on the permanence of the eternal and not on the instability of the temporal. 
What an amazing word, not only for the Hebrews in first century Palestine, but for the Christ followers in 21st century Austin. In the 21st century world that we live in where it seems that the ages are colliding and that society is being shaken. It's in this moment that we remember true north. We fix our eyes on Jesus. I love that, that translation. Some translations say we, we stay focused on Jesus, but I like, I like what the New American Standard Bible says when it says we fix our eyes. We fix our eyes on Jesus. I've got a really good friend who lives in another state, and, and he's, he's a little further along in life than I am, and he's in pretty good physical condition. He looks good. He's, he's well into his 70s now. But a few years ago, he started having vision problems. And so he went to his ophthalmologist and started saying, I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Like, it feels like the, the light is closing in. And the ophthalmologist examined him and he said, I got to tell you something. There, there's nothing wrong with your, with your eyeballs. Your rods and your cones are functioning just fine. He goes, your problem is gravity. What was happening was his eyelids in the 70s, his eyelids started to kind of droop down into his eyes. It was kind of like a basset hound puppy. He was just kind of, his eyes were drooping down and he was kind of closing things off a little bit. His, his ophthalmologist said, I got a cure for you. Go to a plastic surgeon. Go get your eyes fixed. And so he did. Now, he had a very, very skilled surgeon. He didn't come back you know, looking like he'd been in the G-force machine or anything like that. But his, his eyes opened back up. All of a sudden, his vision was so much better. He got his eyes fixed. I, I wanna talk to you just in the time that we have left about fixing our eyes. There, there are two types of fixing that we have to do in order to know and follow true north, in order to, to find that true north and then to follow him, we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. The first fixing is Kind of like what my friend went through. It's that initial fixing of our eyes. It's that initial step to trust and to follow Jesus. It's that point in life where, where you decide, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, I'm done playing games. As a matter of fact, I'm done playing God. Because until we fix our eyes on Jesus, that's what we're doing. We're playing God with our lives, we're, even though we may not say, I'm a God, we may want to, you know, but we, that's how we function. Until we fix our eyes, until we choose to follow Christ and acknowledge him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the King of our lives, we're playing God. And so to fix our eyes on Jesus means that we, we come to that place where we quit playing games, we quit playing God, and we take that initial step of faith. As a matter of fact, in the original Greek that the book of Hebrews was written in, fixing our eyes on Jesus is a statement of faith. It's choosing to trust Jesus more than we trust ourselves. It's choosing to step into that relationship with him and say, I will trust you, first of all, for the forgiveness of my sin. Now, Sin is one of those things that, that you know, we, we've, kind of, we've kind of relegated sin to the back seat. But I think it's important for us to understand the, the consequences of sin, 
the, the gravity of sin so that we can appreciate the weight of grace. And the reality is that your sin and my sin is absolutely incompatible with a relationship with God. You, you can't have a relationship with God living in sin. It has to be forgiven. That's what Jesus did when he came to this earth and died on the cross and rose again. He took on himself the penalty for my sin, the penalty for your sin. And so that initial fixing our eyes on him is when we choose to acknowledge that fact, we own our sin, confess it to him and allow him to remove it from our lives. Now this is obviously a process. Nobody here, nobody watching online is perfect yet, but we're in process. We're, we're, we're getting there. When we begin to follow Christ, we begin, the Bible says that when we confess our sins, he is able and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. I want you to think about that for a second. Think about all unrighteousness. Everything you've ever done in your life that you don't want anybody else to know about, he forgives. He is able and he is just to forgive. This is the thing that sets Jesus apart from every other religious leader, teacher, prophet, anything else. Jesus is the only one who is able to forgive because of his authority and the only one who was willing to die in your place. He's the only one. And so when you start to understand that, you realize that it's, it's too great an offer to just ignore. You have to choose to step over that line of faith and trust him for the forgiveness of your sins. The, the Bible says that God removes our sin. Think about this. He removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. As far as the east, that, that he removes it from us that far away and he remembers it no more. Isn't that amazing? Oh, man, wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if our, if our spouses could remember it no more? Wouldn't it be great if, if our parents could remember our youthful indiscretions no more? But God, who is perfect, God, who is King, God, who is Lord, God remembers it no more because of what Christ did on the cross and in the resurrection. He remembers it no more. So it's that initial fixing. Some of us, maybe, some of us I know have, have taken that step, but if you're, if you're listening to the sound of my voice or you're watching online, if you've never taken that initial step, man, what are you waiting for? It, it, it requires a response. It's too great an offer to just go, oh, that was interesting, fascinating. Yes, I believe that. It, it requires a personal investment, a personal response from you. But there's a second kind of, of fixing. And, and this is a, it's not the initial fixing, but it is that refocusing fixing of our eyes. It's where we refocus moment to moment, day by day, week by week, that continuous refocusing of our lives, our hearts and our minds on Jesus. This is, this is why a, a daily quiet time, a, a time to be still and know that he is God, 
is so important. I want to challenge you this week to take every morning, five minutes, five minutes every morning this week, set your alarm for five minutes earlier, wake up. Some of you may need to set an alarm at all, but set an alarm, wake up, and for five minutes, fix your eyes on God. Just be still and be quiet. If you need coffee to get going, that's fine. No phone. Before you look at your phone, before you read anything online, just be still and know that he is God. Be quiet and fix your eyes on Jesus. Think about who he is. Think about what he's done for you. Think about how constant he is. Think about the reality that Hebrews also tells us he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and allow yourself to just kind of bask in that for five minutes this week, every morning. And if you want to get really spiritual about it, write down some thoughts after you've done that. Write, write something down that God maybe lays on your mind or your heart. But, but fix your eyes for five minutes in the quiet and the stillness. Just think about how good God is. Think about what it is that Jesus Christ did for you, what he did for me on the cross. And, and just sit there and fix your eyes for the day in that. Just a daily fixing of your eyes, week to week. That's why the Bible says that the Sabbath was made for man, that we set aside this time to worship we set aside this time on the weekend. Now, I, I listen, I understand right now, it's a, it's a weird time to be doing church. Would somebody help me preach? The whole thing, the church is, we're about gathering people, and gathering people is not really a great idea right now in tight proximity. But we're still the family of faith. We're still called to honor the Sabbath, to keep it holy and set apart. That there's one day of the week that is for rest, for the opportunity to, to recalibrate and fix our eyes, to worship together. If, if you are at home online, man, that's awesome. That's great. That's great. But let me just remind you of something really important. It's a great help right now. But, but online community is kind of like vitamins. It's a good supplement, but it's a terrible substitute long term. You don't eat vitamins instead of kale. You don't eat vitamins instead of steak. You, you, need, you need the nutrients of, of gathering. And, and when we can do this more fully and more robustly, man, make sure that it's a priority. For right now, it's okay. But there's that, that, that weekly gathering and, and being centered and fixing our eyes on Christ and remembering that we have got a great cloud of witnesses around us. We're not in this alone. We're not by ourselves. But I love, I love what Hebrews 12 says about Jesus, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. When it says that Jesus is the author, it means that he is the inventor. He is the one who, who wrote the story of faith. So it's his to give us. Even our having faith is an act of grace from God. He's, he's opened us up to the possibility to our need for faith, and then he gives us the faith to live this life out. It's an amazing thing. 
So if, if Jesus is the author of our faith, that means it's his initiative. That, that means that, that he wrote the story of faith, which also means that it's up to us to live out, not my truth, but his truth. I, I live out the truth of God as a follower of Christ. I, I live out the truth that Jesus Christ calls me to. It's not me kind of ramming and cramming and shoehorning the image of God into my perception of faith. It's my allowing, it's my inviting Jesus to shape my concept of faith. It's, it's, it's how Jesus shapes how I treat people, how I think about all of those distractions that are in the world. It's, it's what he calls me to do, how he calls me to believe, how he calls me to behave, that then shapes his truth lived out through me and in my life. So it's, it's so important that we understand this, that we fix our eyes on Jesus and not on our own perceptions of how we think faith ought to run. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people who have said something to the effect of, well, if God, dot, 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 then I can't believe in that kind of God. And, and, I, and I understand where that comes from. I really do. But I also think that at the core of, of faith, of, of fixing our eyes on Jesus, there's a humility. It, it, it it requires a humility for, for me to say, I don't understand everything about God, but I understand love. I, I understand my need for love. I certainly understand my need for forgiveness. And, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna humble myself And I'm going to fix my eyes on true north, on Jesus, for every single part of my life. How I think about how I treat people, how I think about how I manage possessions, a, a position maybe that I have my politics, all of it surrendered and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. Because whatever you believe about God, believe this, he's good. He's good. The Bible tells us that God is love. He is love. Are there parts of God that are hard to understand? Yeah, he's God, we're not. You're talking about an infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good entity. There are going to be parts of God that, let me suggest to you, you don't want a God that you can completely understand. That's not God. God in a box is not God but a God who blows your mind with his goodness, with his love, 
with his truth, with his justice, that's a God you want to follow. That's a God worth fixing your eyes on. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a brief moment. If you're watching online, I want to invite you to bow your heads as well. And in this moment, if you have never taken that initial fixing your eyes on Jesus, that that first step of faith, then we would love to invite you to do that right now. To just begin right where you are. Because here's something else about God. He loves you as is. Right where you are, right now, no questions asked, period. And he loves you too much to leave you there. He's calling you to live the way, the truth, and the life, to fix your eyes on Jesus. If you want to begin that journey, then we invite you to pray right where you're sitting. In your own words, just silently something like this. Just pray. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. You who are constant. I need you to be my true north. I confess my sin to you. holding none of it back. And by your grace, I accept your forgiveness. Help me to never take that for granted. But to respond by following you, by trusting you more than I trust myself. Jesus, I want to be a part of your family. I pray this prayer in your name. For just a brief moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed. And no matter how you are taking in and participating in this message, I just want you to know, if you just prayed that prayer, this is the greatest moment of your life. And as a church, we want to help with the moments that follow. We want to help you grow in this relationship, learn how to navigate this journey with you. And so as our heads are bowed, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand? Would you just lift your hand and hold it up high over your head? And as you hold your hand up, I want you to know something. Even though we're socially distanced, we are spiritually nearby. And we are so excited with you and for you. And as a church, we celebrate and we honor that moment. And our family tradition around here is 
that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.